0: message this week out of the book of Nehemiah chapter 8, reading the law on Rosh Hashanah and Sukkot. Now we've skipped chapter 7, not so much skipped chapter 7, but chapter 7, I'm going to cover it right now. (laughs) Chapter 7 is is just a long, long chapter of going over the names. Nehemiah wanted a record of those that had come out uh, out of Persia and come back to Jerusalem. And so he had that all recorded. He he put his brother, the one who told him about the situation regarding Jerusalem when he was in Persia, and he put him in charge of Jerusalem, and, uh, and then goes over this whole list of names, which tells us, uh, might not be so important for us to know and, and have information right now, but I'm sure it was very important for the people at that time to have a record of it, for to know who those those who stepped out in faith, those who who uh, made the trek from Persia to a desolate city, to a broken down city with no industry and no uh, farmland and no you know, fertilized farmland and no, uh, nothing really ready for them turnkey and to start from scratch. And so he had that all recorded and those that were there. Plus I'm sure that was an important document and faithful document to keep record down through the ages till the coming of the Messiah. And knowing what was taking place in Jerusalem, before the destruction of the temple. And so, God's word records it there, Nehemiah, and it tells us a little bit more about Nehemiah. We see that uh, building the walls was important to him, having a safe city was important to him, but not so much about the city and about the walls, but the people in the walls, that they would be secure and they would be safe. We also saw that his heart was for the people, in that he mediated and worked out the situation between the rich and the poor, the, and how the, the poor were being taken advantage of by the rich, and he worked that out and brought harmony to the city, to the people, uh, socially. And then here again we see his heart for people, and that he wants the people recognized, the people's names known, the people's names recorded. And so he's a very balanced man in being able to care about people, but also care about the structure and making sure the structure and the wall is secure and built right with gates and hung right and everything done to uh, to code, right? And so uh, very balanced. And that's that's very unusual in, in, in humanity. And that's uh, maybe why God chose him. We also see that he was a very good servant, right? He was very good as the king's cupbearer. And now we see him leading and leading very faithfully Uh, in a balanced, leading way. And that also, it takes a lot of humility uh, to be able to serve as well as lead. And we all need to be able to do both those things at some point in time in our lives. God calls us to serve, whatever capacity that might be. And then God calls us all to lead at some point in our lives. Now, maybe not lead like a Nehemiah or something like that, but, you know, if you have a pet, you should be in charge of the pet, right? You should lead the pet. I've seen a lot of dogs walking people down the street, right? Maybe you've seen that too, right? And, and so, whether you're a pet owner or a parent or, or at work and, and the boss is out for the day and you need to, whether be in charge of yourself or in charge of some other people there, there are various times in our life where we are called to lead as well as serve. And good leaders learn to be good servants as well and uh, good followers as well. And we see that in Nehemiah, again, structure focused, but people focused servant and leadership and spiritual as well and yet able to also meet opposition and able to have mercy and yet also judgment and so very good balance he's really a great example of a life filled with the holy spirit and that's how we can be by god's grace as well as filled with the same spirit that was upon nehemiah that same spirit can be upon us as well that's a little bit about chapter seven and so as we move into chapter eight Starting in verse one, all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. They told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. So they had just finished building the walls and having that all ready and secure. And so then they come together, and they come together as one person, as one unit, as one united people. And that's significant. Because we see when Nehemiah got there just a couple months before, uh, there were there were divisions, there were divisions between the rich and the poor, and, and here they came together, whether, and on the building of the wall, you had merchants, and you had uh, perfumers, and you had goldsmiths, and you had Levites, and Kohim, and no doubt people with some experience building, uh, also in that mix of the building, and then you had daughters helping out as well, and so you had men, you had women, you had rich, you had poor, you had very various different services, and various different tribes, all coming together, and here, regardless of their tribe, regardless of their age, regardless of their profession, they're all together as one. And that's that unity and diversity. When they came together as one, they didn't stop being goldsmiths, or, or perfumers, or merchants, or, or Levites, they still had their uniqueness in their tribes, or you know, the men were still men, the women were still women, but they were still one and unified together as one person. And as Paul beautifully brings out, one person is still made up of a lot of body parts. Right? A single person is not just a, a hand, you know, or a finger or, or a single cell, but we're made up of lots of different parts all coming together. And even though we're together, each part does not lose its uniqueness. It maintains its uniqueness, and its uniqueness is even then highlighted The hand is then special because it doesn't do what the feet do and the feet are special because they don't do what the ears do and so on. And so they're together as one and that's the unity God wants to have with us. Wants us to have with him and wants us to have with each other. Coming together as one. Listening to him, listening to the Torah, under his banner, working together, uniting together, fellowshipping together, loving one another. And so they call Ezra, and so Ezra is now back on the scene. I think this is the first time he's mentioned in Nehemiah, so we haven't heard from him in 13 or so years in, in Bible time here. And so we had the book of Ezra, and then about, I think, 13 or 17 years or something like that go by, and then Nehemiah comes on the scene, and he's still there, so a little bit aged now, and they bring him forth to read from the law of Moses. So Ezra the Kohim brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Now, this is interesting because they had just finished building the wall in 52 days, I think it's on the 25th or something like that, of the sixth month, the month of Elul. And so now they've come to the first day of the seventh month, just a few days after that, right? And what's the first day of the seventh month? Rosh Hashanah, exactly. And so... Uh, so here they are on Rosh Hashanah. So they're kind of coming together, maybe as a combined thing. They're celebrating that they completed the wall, right? Look, stand back and look at the work that we had done. Look at those walls. Look at those gates. Look how beautiful this is. Look how uh, protected and secure we now are. And so let's rejoice in that, and let us also observe the feast of Tabernacles, or feast of trumpets, the Rosh Hashanah. And so whether or not, I don't know what would have happened. You know, the timing just was right. That's when Nehemiah came and they built the walls in time. I don't know if it would have taken 65 days to build the wall. What they would have done? Would they taken break for the high holy days and the enemy's still trying to come in? I don't, I don't know what they would have done. Or, or if they, if Nehemiah would have come in the spring or summer or something like that, or winter, and would have got it done in 52 days and there was no nearby holiday, would they have still come together to again celebrate the completing of the wall? I think they would have. And so... Both things are combined here. Here they are. And so they did the job. And now it's time for the spiritual. Because Nehemiah again did not come just to build walls. Not just to protect a city. But to protect people that make up the city. To build up people. To build up community. To build up lives. Individually and corporately together. And so certainly a coming together in a hearing of God's word, that spiritual component would be so vital, whether it was Rosh Hashanah or not. And so how nicely it worked out that he came just in time, that the city walls would be built just in time for them to be able to come together and hear the reading of God's word on Rosh Hashanah. And he read it from the open square he read it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midnoon, before the men and women and those who could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So reading from early morning, so that could be seven o'clock, could be six o'clock, sunrise, however early they come out. You know, they're farmers, they're used to that. So coming out early and staying there till noon. So maybe five, six hours of listening to the word of God. And you thought my sermons were long. (laughs) And they're attentive to hearing the word of the Lord. right? And that was a key component there too, right? And so they've come and they're listening and their ears and all who have understanding. And understanding is mentioned several times in this chapter. And so we'll come back to that in a minute. And so they're coming to hear the book of the law, the Torah, read by Ezra and want to understand it so that it can be applied. And when Ezra read, all the people stood up, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. I think that's a great place to start. Praising the Lord, praying before reading, blessing his name, thanking him, praising him, because he is the great God. In all that he has done, he has sustained us down through the ages, brought us to this time, brought us back from being outcasts in the city and the land and has restored the city and restored the temple and restored the worship services. He's a miraculous God and has sustained us to this day now thousands of years after that event. And then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And then they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So they start, they're standing up, and they're raising their hands, amen and amen, and then somehow they end up on their faces to the ground. And maybe the glory of the Lord was revealed to them, like to Isaiah. And they had this experience with God, as many people in the Bible, when they came face to face with God, starting in praising, and then overwhelmed with the awesomeness of God. Woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. Bow down in humility before God, humbling themselves before him, worshiping him in humility and in truth. This is the position that we need to be in. We need to be attentive listening to God's word. We need to be attentive as we open God's word and read it on a daily basis, praying with praise and humility, asking God to teach us and instruct us and to give us understanding and to lead us in his ways. Also Yeshua and the Levites helped the people understand the law and the people stood in their place. So I mentioned Yeshua and then I got the dot, 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 a whole bunch of names uh, of various different people helping to understand the law. And we'll see Nehemiah comes in, helps understand as well. So why are they needing these people to help them understand? Well, we'll learn, not this night, but further on chapters in Nehemiah, that not everyone understood Hebrew. There was this intermarrying problem that we read back in Ezra's time and, and still continuing here or picked up again here. And there were children who did not speak the language of their father or of their mother because of this intermarrying problem. And so they had to speak it and understand They had to explain it. They had to translate it into the people's languages that were hearing. So had very much like what happened with the disciples except that was a, just a miraculous case of of speaking in the languages of the people. And here they knew there were enough people that knew the languages of the people that they were translating it. So like the difference between a miraculous healing and a, using a doctor, God using a doctor to, to help heal. And so we have the, the miraculous on Shavuos uh, during, uh, with the disciples. And here the, uh, the educated teaching and giving them understanding. It's so important for us to understand what we're reading. So we can take it to heart. So that it can be applied to our lives. So we read God's word. We need to pray for God to give us understanding. To understand it in the context that it was written. To understand it in, in, in the context of the chapter, in the book, in the history of what was taking place. To understand it in the context of the whole entire Bible. What exactly is being meant here within the setting. And then also understanding the word of God, and how does this relate to the Messiah? How is he pictured here? Where is he amplified here? Well, he is the law of God. He is the Torah. He is the living word. And we need to stand before him and bow before him. We need to come attentively to him, listening to him, and soaking him in on a daily basis and receiving of him. Where is he in the text I'm reading this morning each day as you go through reading the Bible. Where is Yeshua? Give me understanding to understand this in the light of the gospel. Give me understanding to understand this in the light of the life and death and burial and resurrection of the Messiah. And then third, Lord, give me understanding in how this applies to my life this day. and What I'm going to be doing and what you're going to have me doing and what's going to be taking place and what's going to happen in my surroundings, in my situation, in my life this day, how will this be helpful? How will what I'm reading this morning have a purpose in your plan for my life? Give me understanding of what this means to me, of what I've gone through in my past, what you're doing in my future. How can I use this in helping others in their problems? How will it meet my need? How will it help me grow closer to you, Lord? And how will it prepare me for heaven? And that's how we need to read the Word. We need to be praying that way and reading the Word of God with that desire to understand it on those various different levels. And so I believe they're there teaching them, instructing them, and giving them understanding of the Word. And we'll see why in just another couple of verses. And they read distinctly from the book and in the law of God and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. So again, several times it mentions understanding, getting the sense. It's important. And if we need help, well then that's why God has called us to come together, to learn from each other and to grow together in understanding and getting the sense of God's word. Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the Kohen, the scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. This is why we know it hit home. They had an understanding, not just, okay, so these are the laws that Moses wrote thousands of years ago, but the application hit home. They had an understanding of their lives in relation to the reading of God's word. And it brought this sorrow of heart. It brought conviction. It brought the gift of repentance. And they were crying and weeping. And that's a good thing. That's a healing thing taking place. And I don't believe they stopped it right away. I mean, again, they were here for five, six hours. And so Nehemiah and Ezra might have let them weep it out for, for a couple hours or a few hours as they were reading God's word. But before they got to the end, or maybe when they got to the end, they said, don't continue to weep. Throughout this, it's, um, this is a holy day of the Lord your God. Rejoice not only in that he has brought conviction to us and showed us where we have fallen short of the glory of the Lord, but also be thankful that he is merciful and that he has provided a way of escape, of forgiveness and of mercy to, the, at that time, the sacrifices and the pointing forward to the Messiah to come. That he has redeemed us, that he has brought us back, that he has fulfilled his promises. And just as those promises were fulfilled in the literal sense of bringing us back to Jerusalem and letting us rebuild the walls and fulfilling the decree to, to build and restore Jerusalem, prophesied by Daniel and by Jeremiah. Just as he fulfilled those promises, he's also will and is fulfilling the promises to forgive us, to have mercy upon us, to transform us, to change us, to make us a holy people unto him, to live in us and through us, to meet our every need according to his riches and glory, to make us holy because he, the Lord our God, is holy and countless other promises that God has given to us. And so rejoice. There's a time for weeping, a time for confession, a time for release, and a time for accepting of his forgiveness. Accepting of his love, accepting of his mercy, and being thankful and then rejoicing in that, and believing that we've been forgiven. You might still feel horrible about what you've done. You might still feel horrible about how we have broken his laws. when there's true confession and true repentance, we can also have true peace and true thankfulness because God has forgiven us and cleansed us of all unrighteousness through the Messiah, our Lord. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet and send portions to those for whom have nothing is prepared. And for this day is holy to the Lord do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And that's why I think it was towards the end of that reading, the midday, just before he sends them off to read, to eat, I mean, he tells them, don't weep, don't continue to weep, but rejoice and be glad. Go and eat. It's a holy day to the Lord. There'll be plenty more time to weep. we got the 10 days of all. we got the day of Yom Kippur coming up. But this day, You've been forgiven. Go and eat. Take the message back to your families. And the joy of the Lord is your strength. Don't sorrow. Weep not. Sorrow not as others who have no hope. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. The joy of the Lord is your strength. There is power in rejoicing in the Lord. There is power in choosing to be thankful. There is power in choosing to trust God, regardless of the problems, their problems are not over yet. We've still got five or I forget how many chapters left, five, I think chapters left. <laughs> this story is not over yet. Their problems are not over yet. But He tells them to rejoice anyway. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. There is power in rejoicing even while we're going through problems. Trusting in Him. Having faith in Him. Believing in Him. Barbara and I have a friend that, uh, he puts this to practice in his life. We've known him for many years. And uh, when we first met him, uh, he called me. I didn't know him before this, I didn't know him at all. He, he called, Barbara answered the phone and, and he said, uh, hello, how are you doing this great, grand and glorious day? And can I speak to Jeff? And so she hands me the phone. I say, who is this? She says, I don't know. I think it's some crazy guy. <laughs> I don't know. I think maybe he's trying to sell something. I don't know what money is all about. And, uh, and so I answer the phone and, and uh, similar type of green. I say, how are you? He says, I am doing super fantastically, wonderfully well. But don't worry, the day's not over. It's going to get better. <laughs> and he literally has had that attitude. And that's how he answers people. And that's his attitude. I've seen it when he's been through hard times and going through difficult times and difficult days and trials, choosing to rejoice in the Lord, choosing to be thankful for him. Rejoicing in the joy of the Lord is our strength. It's not a don't worry, be happy. It's not the same thing. Totally different. Don't worry, be happy means denying the reality that's going on around us and just trying to make yourself happy, maybe with drugs or alcohol or whatever else. But rejoicing in the Lord is it's different. It's acknowledging there's problems. Nehemiah didn't ignore the problems. He faced the problems. But rejoice not because we're ignoring the problems, but rejoice because our God is our strength and he is bigger than the problems that we face. That's the difference. That's the difference. So do not sorrow. So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and rejoice greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. We will be able to go and rejoice and be glad and rejoice greatly and share and be generous when we understand the words of God's law that are declared to us, that God has given to us, that God has passed down through the ages to us. And that's a miracle in itself, that we still have the word of God today, that we still have what Moses wrote. Absolutely amazing. God's hand, it's definitely divinely over it. And on the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses, houses of all the people, with the Kohanim and the Levites were gathered to Ezra the scribe in order to understand the words of the law. So they came back the second day and again still wanting to understand and gain understanding and gain knowledge and gain application for their lives. Eagerly desiring and again probably another five, six hour day. May God give us that type of burning, that type of thirsting, type of panting after the the word of the Lord, hungering and thirsting for his word to eat and drink him in. We can't have that naturally. That's not our natural nature. But we can pray for that. Lord, give me a love for your word. Make my heart like your scripture says. That, I, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day long. We can pray and God can give us that. Again, we're not naturally born with that. It's not like some people have it and some people don't. God will give it to anyone who asks, and none of us have it naturally. But God will give it to us as we seek him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, asking him to give us a longing for him. They found written in the law, which the Lord had commanded by Moses, that the children of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month. And that they should announce and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem, saying, go out to the mountains and bring olive branches and branches of, of olive trees, of oil trees, rather, and myrtle branches and palm branches and branches of leafy trees to make booths as it is written. And so they're reading, oh, we should do Sukkot too. Look, here we are in the seventh month. How nice, how that worked out. Fifty-two days, we got the walls built, and now we get to rejoice greatly. And so they've gone through, so they end up going through Yom Kippur and confession of sin, accepting the atonement and the sacrifices, and no doubt the the scapegoat and the Lord's goat, and the atonement for the whole nation and for each different person. And now they're able to rejoice in Sukkot. They go and gather, and there's the list of branches of trees that they use, a little different list than, than traditionally today. In, in this branch, yes, this is the myrtle. We do the myrtles today, and, and there's the branches, the palm branches, and we still do that today. And the leafy trees, well, maybe that's the willow. Who knows? Uh, but uh, the etrog is not mentioned here. Olive branches are mentioned here. And oil trees, I don't know what an oil tree is. <laughs> you know, maybe a banana tree, right? Bananas are pretty oily trees. I don't know. <laughs> banana oil, did you ever hear anyone say all that banana oil? All right. so I don't know. I don't know what kind of tree was the... the uh, Trees of oil, or or, uh, branches of oil trees, but they had them as well. And the people went out and brought them and made themselves booths, each one on the roof of his house, or in their courtyards, or in the courts of the the house of God, and in the open square of the water gate, and in the open square of the gate of Ephraim. So, tzuchos all over the place. Sukkot, all over the place. Booths, all around the city, on the roofs, in the, by the gates, the people coming together to rejoice together. The whole assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and sat under the booths, for since the days of Joshua the son of Nun, until that day the children of Israel had not done so, and it was very great now, I'm not sure exactly what it means that it hasn't been done like since the days of Joshua. I mean, they celebrated several Sukkot since the days of Joshua. Uh, but maybe not in exact manner, maybe not exactly exact to the fullness, or, or maybe he's just saying, this is the best since then. I don't know. You know, Maybe he's just saying, I'm the best, we're the best, this is the best. You know, <laughs> Everything's the best. I don't know why. But he says, hasn't been done so since the time of Joshua. It was a time of rejoicing. They were very thankful. In a sense, they had come out of a captivity. They had come out of a barrenness. They had come out of a wilderness and came into the promised land, back into the fulfillment of the building of the temple, not just the temple, but also the building of the city, not just of the city, but the administration, to be able to have judgment, to be able to live their lives as a city of God. So it was great to rejoice. Secure in the borders, secure in the walls, secure in the city. And most importantly, that they were as one person. They were united together with God as the center. Yeshua as the chief cornerstone. Each person fits stones, building up the walls. The city of God. The real city of God. whose builder and maker is not man. Not even greater than the New Jerusalem, but the people of the New Jerusalem. The people of God are the city of God. Here they are together, uniting together, rejoicing together, after being cleansed, after weeping, after repentance, after confession, putting away differences, of not abusing each other anymore, Forgiving those that took advantage of the others and coming together as one. Their enemies repelled and they're together as one and rejoicing. It's a beautiful picture of what God has in store for us and for all eternity. The eternal Sukkot that God wants us to rejoice in and experience. Day by day from the first day until the last, he read from the book of the law of God and they kept the feast seven days and on the eighth day there was a sacred assembly according to the prescribed manner. So they continued every day reading the word of God. That's so foundational. The word of God. That is the foundation for our lives. That is the foundation for a city. As a foundation for morality. To know right from wrong. To build upon. To grow upon. And our lives are weak and blown around. Yeshua said build. Uh, a city built on, on sand will be blown away. Hey, and we see that here in Florida, right? Built too close to the coast. Tides come in, can undercut a building and wash it away. Hurricane come and take away the sand and take the houses with it. Sinkhole can eat up a house in a day. Sinking sand. But build on the rock. Yeshua is the rock. He is the Word. He is the living Word. He is the embodiment of the Word. And our lives, our homes, our purpose, and our plans need to be built on Him on his written word, built on the word of God, built up on the word of God. And then the storms of life will come. He doesn't say they won't come, but they will come, but they'll beat upon it, but it will not fall down because it's built on the rock. We can build on him. Reading the word of God each day, spending time with him, soaking it in, getting understanding, confessing our area's where we've disobeyed, receiving his forgiveness, walking away rejoicing, ministering to others, giving to others, sharing with others, being generous with others that don't have. God's work will be built up in the land as we follow his prescribed manner, as we follow his prescribed plan for our lives, written out in his word for us. So as we think of the various different ways that this chapter applies to us and prepare to pray if you have not been on a daily reading of God's word of attentive to his word of reading it, understanding it praying for understanding building your life building each day upon his word in a moment when I pray I invite you to surrender that to him confess whatever laziness or just not a lack of interest in it or Whatever it is that keeps you from reading the word of God, Satan will resist. Satan does not want that. He will come up with every reason in the world. Whatever it is, give it over to the Lord and ask him to fill you with that desire to read and understand his word, to apply it to your life. Second, if there's some area in your life where you're not in balance, Maybe you're very structured and very interested in the structure of things and the working of things, whether at work or whether in your home or here in the congregation or some other area of your life, and into all the little details and all that stuff. And that's all good and that's all needed. But if you're missing people too, if you're walking right past people, and not having love for them and not demonstrating love for them, ask God to give you a balance like Nehemiah had. Or maybe you're just a people person and you just love and you'll talk and you'll talk and you'll talk, but you know the laundry never gets done or whatever, you know. There's no structure also in your life and 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 the garage door is falling apart and you know you just let it go because you're just on the phone or just into Facebook or whatever, just with people. Ask God to give you that balance so you can handle every aspect of your life, to be faithful to God and building up his work here on earth and in your life. Maybe God's calling you to lead in some area of your life. Maybe again as a parent or landlord or neighbor or whatever situation. He's needing a lead, even maybe temporarily, and ask God to give you the characteristics to do so. God's calling you at some point in your life, some area of your life, maybe one day a week, maybe seven days a week, where he's calling you to be a faithful follower, a servant of his, to be a cupbearer, to be faithful in his work on, in your heart, and ask him to give you the ability to do so with cheerfulness, as unto the Lord, and to do it rightly. If have am with the five or whatever <laughs> next, if uh, there's an area in your life where You're sorrowful, where you're not rejoicing, where you're worried, where you're weighed down with cares and fears, fears of the enemy outside the walls, fears of the enemy inside, fears from your past, and trust in the Lord. Surrender it to him. Rejoice in him. Find strength in him. Let him be your joy. Let him be your guard and your guide. Let him be your protection. Let him be your walls. Lay firmly hold on him and do not let go. There's some area in your life where your life is not in harmony with God's word. And you need that gift of confession and the gift of repentance to turn from that wicked way. Some area you know that's wrong. You're not doing what you know you should be doing. Are you doing something you know you shouldn't be doing? Come to the Messiah. Bow down before Him, your face to the ground, weeping in heart and mind. And confess it to Him. Because every sin has killed Him. Accept His forgiveness, accept His mercy and let him lift you up and transform you and change you. If any of those areas apply to you, as we pray together, let God do his work. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we praise your name and thank you for your word and thank you for godly examples like Nehemiah. And we do pray, Lord, that your hand would be over us as we serve you and walk in your ways. Thank you for your cleansing. Thank you, Yeshua, for your death. Thank you for your resurrection. Thank you for your life. Come inside us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Live the balanced, godly life in us and out of us. Give us joy in you. Give us your strength. Give us your power. Give us the ability to rejoice and trust in you. Give us generous hearts. Give us unity together. If there's any area in our life where we're not unified, whether here in the congregation or whether in our family or whether at work or at school, wherever we're at, if we're not in unity or unity with you, Lord, give us harmony, give us unity. Bring us together in you, working together as much as possible within our hearts and lives. Let your glory be revealed through us. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.